0: Welcome to Sound Prints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prints for the week of February 4, 2018. The American Printing House for the Blind Museum is always creating great programming of interest to people who are blind or visually impaired. The museum also offers sighted people the chance to experience the world from a tactile rather than visual point of view. Mike Hudson, director of the APH Museum, pays us a visit on page two, and gives us a preview of several interesting programs planned for the coming months. For many years, Lions Clubs across the country have supported Leader Dogs for the Blind, a guide dog school in Rochester, Michigan. Bill Dethridge from Louisville, immediate past president of Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana, just returned right before Christmas from Leader Dogs, where he obtained a new golden retriever named Agnes. Bill addressed the cabinet meeting of the Lions Multiple District 43N here in Louisville on January 27, telling attendees about leader dogs for the blind and guide dogs in general. Hear his remarks on page 3. Delta Airlines has caused quite a stir a few weeks ago when they announced new procedures that an individual with disabilities must follow when traveling with a guide dog, assistance dog, or emotional support animal. Delta announced that beginning March 1, it will require passengers with disabilities traveling with service and emotional support animals to submit documentation 48 hours prior to travel. We brought you Delta's statement on sound prints. This week, we update you on the situation with three interesting articles on page four. First, read about an incident where a passenger tried to bring a peacock on a plane and comments by a former flight attendant who is now a co-host of a travel show called Jet Set. Next, we bring you the new emotional support animal policy from United Airlines, a policy that does not affect guide dogs and assistance dogs. Finally, an excellent article just appeared in People magazine explaining many of the issues and problems surrounding travel with animals. It details what is and is not covered by the ADA as it relates to emotional support animals. Since other airlines, including American and JetBlue, have indicated that they plan to tighten their policies concerning traveling with animals, we are sure we haven't heard the last on this topic. And on page five is the Soundprints calendar. Page two. On the phone with me is Mike Hudson. He's the director of the museum at the American Printing House for the Blind. And he visits with us periodically to tell us about upcoming events at the museum and what's what's just going on and uh, exciting things that happen there. So welcome, Mike. We're glad you're here today.
1: Good morning, Carla.
0: Tell us what's coming up in February and March and, you know, just kind of looking ahead for the sure. museum.
1: You know, we, we do a monthly program. I know our your loyal listeners know that. And uh, so our program in February is, is a new one um, for February that we call Landscapes for Your Fingertips. And this is kind of an art, original art uh, workshop that's going to be taught by... Um, an artist named Jennifer Palmer who teaches art here in Louisville at Bellerman, mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what you're basically going to do is, is use tactile art materials, textures, shapes, layers to create a remembered landscape. Mm. Not a, not a map so much as, um, a, um, a landscape, Art piece that you can explore with your fingers that's based on memory um, I guess you could do a, a landscape of, of something that you 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 just saw but we're really working on you know things about that you remember from um, from the past mm-hmm. um, so so a moment in time if you want um, trans transformed into a tactile landscape oh that could be really
0: fun yeah yeah, yeah because. It could be a memory from childhood or...
1: It could be. School yes. or, or whatever. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and how do you do that, you know? Um, so, uh, I'm you know, I'm just as intrigued as, as anybody to, to, to learn from uh, Jennifer Palmer how, how to do that. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. So that's going to be on Saturday, February 24th. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to start at 1030 and mm-hmm. uh, allow about two hours. I think 10:30 to 12 30 to, you know, some people are fast workers and some people are, you know, are, you know, very deliberate in the way they, they, they do their projects. So mm-hmm. we've got, we'll have plenty of time. Nobody will be rushed. And, um, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting.
0: Be like making a tactile picture.
1: Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 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 but very much more uh, directed at, at how do you kind of put these ideas down in ways that you can explore, um, by touch, but that have you know powerful meaning. Mhm,
0: mm-hmm. and and maybe an additional dimension other than just a flat, um, two dimensional on on, mm-hmm. on paper or whatever. And what like could add some 3, three D to that too.
1: Yes, three dimensional. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and like most of our, our our workshops, we're really looking at exploring for all kinds of people, sighted and people that are blind or visually impaired. Um, you know the kinds of materials that we use here at the printing house to uh, create uh, um, tactile graphics
0: oh wow i wish that was on a different day
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm going to be at the acb mid-year meeting that weekend and i sure would love to do that workshop <laughs>
1: so. well you know you know that and this is just a little blurb out uh to the community you know we we can schedule workshops Outside of our regularly monthly schedule, you know, those are open to anybody to walk in off the street and do. Mm-hmm. But if if a group wanted to do a workshop like that, um, you know, we could probably schedule something. Oh, really? Um, at a different time.
0: You that bet. could be really fun. We'll have to we'll have to plan some of that. Yeah, Katie
1: Carpenter, our museum educator, is very flexible about working with all kinds of community group scouts, and and uh, all kinds of organizations to mm-hmm. to put things together that meet you know their needs. So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. We can do all kinds of things. So give us a call. Okay. Which is what I would say.
0: Okay. Now tell us about March. There's a big so event. March, in March is
1: yeah. March is our is our annual Braille Readers Theater program, um, which has really just blossomed into almost it's the rose of our garden. I, I
0: think. <laughs> and uh, it's a tradition now. You can't it stop. It is.
1: No, we couldn't. Yeah, I'm going to use a double negative. We could not do it. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, our uh, the folks that are involved, both the technical and the and the and the actors, uh, just have such a great time. Um, They look forward to these, and you know we've done a little bit of everything. We've done Shakespeare. We've done um, uh, kind of avant garde. uh, We've done light comedy. You know, and so again, you know, uh, we're always looking for something different to do. So this year we're doing. you know French, uh, 18th century comedy by a very famous player named Molière.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow!
1: And uh, uh, Molière's—you know—you might think, oh, you know, why would I? You know, why would a play that's you know two, three hundred years old be funny? But his stuff is based kind of on the the the, the foibles and comedy of everyday life, and uh, and a lot of wordplay and puns and. Misunderstandings—farce is the best word I can use to describe it. The play is called *The Doctor in Spite of Himself*, um, kind of about a quack doctor, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's—it's—it's—it's going to be hilarious. It really mm-hmm. is. And and, yeah, go ahead.
0: And to to put that on, it's not just something where some people get together and maybe meet a time or two before it, and then, you know, okay, so now it's time to put this play on. Yeah. You, you do auditions in December, and you're you're already practicing.
1: We are. And, and you know, I think, Carla, uh, of course, we've talked about this in the past. You know, I think that was my thought when we first came up with this idea. You know, uh, we'll get together a couple of folks, and we'll, you know, emboss <laughs> off a braille copy of the script, and we'll read it a couple of times, and then we'll do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, not that is not a description of this process. Yeah, it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of work, and 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 I don't think we can we can challenge our actors enough. They want to be challenged, right? Um, and so uh, yeah, we've been in we've been in rehearsal since early January, uh, and uh, we will be in rehearsal right up until uh, March when we when we uh, do the show. And I will let everybody know that this is one of our most popular programs. It's always packed. Um, And so we will do our show on Friday, March 16th. Uh, We'll run from 7 to 9. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the Saturday matinee will be on March 17th from 1 to 3. You do need to call in advance and get your tickets. And uh, I recommend if, if anyone's listening to me right now and you think you might want to come, you should call. Uh, go ahead and call and get your reservations because uh, we're always packed for this. It's a very popular program.
0: Right. And the Greater Louisville Council of the Blonde is planning to attend as part of Roundabout that Friday Good. night again. For the again. Friday night show. That's right. excellent. Right.
1: We've Good. been
0: doing that the Good. last two or three years, and people really enjoy it. And yes. so Good. we've already put it on the
1: calendar. That's great. Yes. That's great. And you know our 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 Braille Readers Theater program really has has spawned a lot of theater here in Louisville by uh, uh, a cast of of folks Mm -hmm. that are blind or visually impaired. You know, there's there's theater going on out there now outside of our uh, 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 operation, um, and we couldn't we're just tickled pink with that. I mean, I, I don't think I ever would have thought that would have been a result of what we were doing here. Yes. But, uh, yeah, you know, for those folks that wear, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, I think it's called uh, Imagine by Players, right. and, and they're doing full, oh, yeah. complete shows with blocking and makeup and lights and the whole nine, and crops and everything. You know, it's, I mean, they've taken it way beyond what we we aspired to do, and, and I think that's really exciting.
0: Well, it, what is so neat is that the <clears throat> other efforts that have kind of spun off from that and also the encouragement of people who have participated in the Reader's Theater to get out there and get involved in other theater, theater groups.
1: Yeah, um just, just just regular community groups. Right,
0: right. Yeah. That's another yeah. thing and, and so all of the things that have kind of spun off from there are all different. They're not they're just not copies of yes, what APH they totally, has
1: done. So people kind of using their own imaginations, their own aspirations and, yeah. That's right. That's, that's that's what we would hope that you know some of the stuff we do here would would have that kind of an impact. Right.
0: Um, now, can you tell us a little bit about what might be coming up in the spring?
1: Sure. So in April, uh, we're doing another new program uh, about uh, blind sports. Um, oh. You know, there's there's uh, uh, all kinds of sports that. Um, Folks who are blind and vision impaired have participated in over the years, golf, bowling, <laughs> uh, skiing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's then there's specially adapted sports that have kind of been created just for people in the blind and vision impaired community, like, of course, the most famous is goalball, mm-hmm. but uh, there's all kinds of beat baseball types of events and other kinds of track and field sports. Um, And so, uh, yeah, we're doing a program called the Competitive World of Blind Sports, which internally we call it Wide, Wide World of Blind Sports.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: And and so uh, basically we're going to have a lot of uh, athletes who have participated in these sports kind of talking about how they got into it,
3: what Mm -hmm. they like
1: about it. Um, We're going to demonstrate a lot of the special equipment that is used. Uh, of course, as you know, goalball can be a very violent sport. Yes. Um, and so there's a whole, you know, suit armor, right, right, that you have to wear, just like a football player, um, to protect yourself when you play that game. And so we're going to be looking at, uh, at adapted sports equipment and talking to a lot of athletes that have participated in sports uh, about their experiences and and, um, and how you can get into it. Do you know what the dates are for that? That is. That is Saturday, April the 28th and it's going to be from 1 to 3. Okay, all right. And then our program in May uh, is something we've been doing now for a couple or three years called, uh, it's been different names each year. This year it's the forest in your front yard. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to bring in a guest naturalist, a young lady named Rosemary Bauman, um, and we're going to walk around our front yard. Of course, as you know, the, the, the lawns at both. The Kentucky School for the Blind and the American Printing House for the Blind were planted back in the 19th century by our then uh, superintendent of both agencies was a guy named B.B. Huntoon.
4: hmm
1: And he he saw the grounds of of both the School for the Blind and APH as kind of this laboratory, uh, kind of a a biological laboratory. So he planted it with native Kentucky trees Mm -hmm. and and Kentucky plants. Mm hmm um, so the the naturalist Rosemary is going to be taking us around, and we're going to be exploring uh, both um, the plants, but also the insects and the animals that make those the you know this kind of park environment that we have here at KSB and APH. That the animals and plants that make that this area their home.
0: Hmm. That yeah. really that so sounds that's going like to be that. on
1: Saturday, May nineteenth, mm-hmm. uh, in the morning from ten thirty to twelve thirty. Okay. And all of these things you can register by either emailing Katie Carpenter, our, our, our educator, at kcarpenter at aph.org, kcarpenter, all one word, lowercase, at aph.org, or calling us at 502-899-2213. That's 502 502- 899-2213 and, uh, and get your registrations in. Um, and a lot of our programs are, are really popular and so I do recommend them to people that call early rather than late.
0: Yes, and
1: all the programs are free. They are.
0: Yes, but it is important to sign up ahead of time because you don't want to get there and find that there's and, not room. And we,
1: and we can't let you in. And, you know, there's there's a, that's the worst thing. We really hate doing that. Yeah. But there are fire restrictions on our on our spaces and there's only so many people that are allowed in. And and for instance the, the Braille birthday event that we did this last Saturday, mm-hmm. we had seventy some people oh, show up. Oh my goodness. It, yeah, it was it was crazy. But yes. uh, it was really great. Uh Adam got to come, so I don't know yes. if he told you. I hope yes. he enjoyed himself, but yes. it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Little kid the kids at K S P did a great job with that yeah. program.
0: In fact we um we, we took your opening remarks and made them a, a little page on sound prints because oh, so, he thought good. they were so good.
1: Oh, well, good. Uh, yeah, so, well, and they came you know, out pretty that's, good. That's the thing. You stand up and, and, and your mouth opens and hopefully you say <laughs> some, some good things. <laughs> well, you did a,
0: a really nice job and it was a great event. And we just wanted to give people a little flavor of what was being done there in January because. Um, APH always does, you always do in the museum, some kind of special program in January that that highlights Braille or um, highlights literacy in right. some it's, way. It's and so,
1: National Braille Literacy Awareness mm-hmm. Month. I, I mm-hmm. know that's not like the Derby or, or, or the World <laughs> Series. But, <laughs> but uh, it's getting close, now, right? Obviously, it's a big deal. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so, you know, obviously, we, we, you know, uh, uh, Braille Literacy still continues to be important for sure. our students and adults uh, to achieve their aspirations, and, right. and we want to keep pushing that.
0: Right, right. Well, Mike, we sure appreciate you being on Sound Prince with us today. As always, please be sure to let us know of any new um, programs that are on the schedule, and we're always willing to share them and anxious to share them with our listeners. Mm-hmm. And Even if listeners are not here in the area and can't attend. They still enjoy hearing about what is going on at the museum. So we appreciate you, you being with us and uh, look forward to hearing more about the museum.
1: That's great. Thanks, Carl.
3: APH's Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. APH offers a growing collection of accessible mobile apps, and some are free. These apps feature content such as mathematics practice, braille practice, enhanced navigation, and fun stickers for messages. Some apps are designed for iOS, while others are compatible with Android. Learn more about mobile apps from the American Printing House for the Blind at www.aph.org slash products slash mobile hyphen apps. Page 3.
2: Now something very special, and I apologize. I thought we'd get uh, to this a little quicker, but we spent quite a bit of time on individual club reports. Uh... Item 13, Leader Dogs for the Blind, special report from Lion Bill Dethridge, uh, who along with Lion Debbie Dethridge are members of this club, Global East, and they have with them Agnes. Lion Bill.
4: Thank you so much. Maybe we'll have Lion Agnes here someday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you. I
2: was wondering if she wanted to say anything. (laughs)
4: <laughs> she knows her name oh yeah first of all I want to say start out by saying thank you you know it's the Lions Club over the years who has helped Leader Dog become the successful organization that it is today back in 1939 a group of Lions uh, got together and established Leader Dogs for the Blind and from that now it uh serves people in several countries throughout the world. Uh, when I was in class this time, we had students from um, Brazil and Mexico. Hmm. And uh, I have been in classes in the past with um, students as far away as Madrid, Spain. So it's uh, really amazing. But uh, as I was thinking about it, um, thought, thinking about well, just where to begin with this, I remember talking with the ladies in the Lions Club, and we was talking about the fact of when they take all the expenses it takes to run the school and divide it between a dog team, and the dog team is a person and a dog, they figure it averages about $40,000 a team. And she said, but you know, you think about it, there are a lot of, there's, besides just going through the program and all, there's a lot that... Uh, Other things that the school does, and I got thinking about it, and my dog PJ, when I found out uh, that I had before Agnes, back in August I found out that he had lymphoma. And I remember calling leader dogs and talking with them and, uh, you know, their support then. And going from there to, uh, you know, uh, saying... Filling out applications again, and he passed away the end of August. So then I realized that I wanted to get another another dog. I filled out the application, and um, one thing they do now that the first time I went up there, uh, I had no idea what it was going to be like or anything. Now with email and all, they send you that information. You can get it through email or. I guess CD. I'm not sure, but I got mine through email, and it was sent. Uh, you have all the dog lectures you can listen to now before you get there, um, and the information: what is expected of you, what uh, what the training will be like, so you just don't walk into it without any idea of um, what's going on. So I remember it was <clears throat> the end of October when I got the call and found out I was going to be in the class in December. December 3rd, I would be flying out. Nothing like Michigan in December, I'll tell you, especially this one. And because uh, I've been there in, before in December, and but this time when I got there, we had six inches of snow. And I was going to bring some pictures and uh, forgot that. I... Uh, got there on, uh, we flew up on uh, December 3rd on a Sunday. Monday and Tuesday we did what is called, well, we had volunteers pick us up at the airport. And by the way, um, the flight up there, all the time you're there and all your expenses are all covered by leader dogs. So, which is really amazing, you know, except if you need personal things, you know, you're, Some things like that, or your medicines and all, you're going to have to cover that while you're there. But uh, all your food, your plane trip up there and all, all that's uh, covered by leader dogs, the cost of the dog. And uh, they have volunteers who pick you up at the airport. And what I was surprised to find out is they have over 300 volunteers just there on the campus. Another thing that I really found, and several of us talked about, was no matter who you uh, talk to, everybody really enjoyed their job. Nobody was sitting around talking, and none of the staff or volunteers or whatever was saying, Well, hey, one more day to the weekend, I can't wait to get out here and party. You know, everybody really enjoyed their job, and they felt like it was something that they really wanted to do. Lots of times, you know, it's you get your dogs on Wednesday or Wednesday afternoon but we had a shorter class so we got our dogs Tuesday afternoon and that's always an experience so sitting there what you do is after lunch you go back to your room you sit and uh, and they come knock on your door take your leash go get your dog tell you that and when they come to the your door they knock on the door you call your dog and they bring the dog in and Tell you all about it, which is, no matter how many times I've been there, it never loses its excitement. So we started training then. Now, Saturday, uh, we worked. We did training six days a week. Saturday evening, which was interesting, uh, we had a bingo. And I said, being my luck, Agnes had to go out, so right in the middle. And I was really having a bad card. So I got a <clears throat> took her out. When I came back in, everybody's yelling "fixed!" and I said, "What?" They said, "Well, you was out. You won." I, <laughs> that's pretty bad when you have to get up and leave the room to win. You know? <laughs> and then the Sunday, we went over to the kennels. There's a video that you can see that uh, talks about uh, the expansion that they did at Leader Dog. But in this video, they were talking about what they wanted to do. Well, I got to see it finished, and it was like a 14.5 million dollar expansion that they did on the kennels and the vet's office and vet and all that. And what's amazing is those puppies come into leader dog when they're born. You know, they're they are put in an environment which is conducive for them to be trained as leader dogs. From the time they're puppies all the way up to the time they finish their training, and so uh, then we Sunday we visited the gift shop. While we was in training, we went to Royal Oak, Rochester, Michigan downtown. That's where the school is in Rochester, uh, Royal Oak downtown, Detroit, Birmingham, Michigan, and we you know. Did more things, and your training gets more advanced. And uh, the more the longer you're there, the more the instructors will stay back. You know, always, there's always somebody that can see where you're at, but the more you start getting the feel of traveling on your own, and uh, the Friday that uh, we uh, Came home. I remember we left at eight thirty, but uh, some of the Mexican students left as early as 4.30 or five thirty in the morning, the flight to Mexico, and the students going to Brazil. I think left at four thirty in the afternoon. So uh, I thought, you know, leaving at eight thirty, and the volunteers take <clears throat> you down to the uh, airport, help you find your gate, shake your hand. Wish you luck, and from there, you're on your own. Uh, does, do we have time for any questions? Uh, yeah. Any quick
2: questions for Bill? Yeah, um, i it major. To train a dog.
4: Takes about, well, of course, they start training uh, doing basic stuff uh, with the puppies, uh, you know, and, uh, but the actual training is about four months. One of our Arkansas
2: past district governors was raising a puppy for leader dog, uh, but that didn't work out. Uh, personality of the dog has to be uh, uh, certain, uh, and uh, so she she ended up getting the puppy back. On the back table is an article about uh, adequate around service animals, such as do not feed the dog, do not pet the dog unless given permission from the owner, no sudden Uh, actions that might startle a dog, common sense things. Uh, Lebanon has one member who has a guide dog. There may be others in the district. Uh, Just a reminder, it's Leader Dogs for the Blind, Rochester, Michigan. If you die and leave the money, do not put in your will. Uh, Give the rest of the money to that seeing eye dog place. That's a private firm in New Jersey. Yeah. Leader Dog is a lion's project. So please be specific. Thank you, Lion Bill. Bill and Debbie brought uh, information that's on the table with the gray tablecloth there. Uh, Please help yourself to that after the meeting.
0: Page 4. The following articles concern the guide dog issue created when Delta Airlines changed its policies concerning documentation required for service animals and emotional animals boarding the airplane. This item was posted by Nancy Metulis on January 31 and is from the Portland Press. Nancy is from Maine. United Airlines has denied boarding to a peacock from the Portland Press. This much we know thanks to a statement from United Airlines in a travel show called the jet set. But whether this was a bona fide attempt by a traveler who thought it would be okay to fly with a huge bird inside an aircraft let alone a species which, even according to its staunchest admirers, is a foul-tempered fowl, or whether this was a put-on, wasn't immediately clear. It wasn't so long ago that a writer from the New Yorker performed a stunt with several animals as a way of demonstrating the ridiculous extremes we've come to when it comes to accommodating support animals. But the fact that this appears to be a legitimate attempt by an ordinary traveler to take her alleged service animal onto a commercial flight points up why the time has come for airlines to tighten the rules. It's become impossible to tell the difference between outlandish stunts and people's support animals. In a statement, United said the airline denied boarding to the passenger and the animal because the peacock failed to meet several guidelines, including those on weight and size. The airline also suggested that the passenger wouldn't take no for an answer. Quote, we explained this to the customer on three separate occasions before they arrived at the airport. End quote. The airline also noted that passengers are required to provide proper documentation from a medical professional at least 48 hours in advance of boarding that specifies the passenger's need for an animal. The Jet Set posted video that captured the bird's arrival at the terminal at Newark Liberty International Airport, along with photos, replete with visible bird droppings, some commenters suggested, of the grounded peacock. The talk show, which plans to air a segment soon on service animals, also says the passenger was turned down in her attempt to board the aircraft despite having bought a separate ticket for the animal. Bobby Laurie, a co-host at the jet set, said the photos came from a passenger at the airport who saw the United customer being denied boarding. Then another passenger supplied video of the peacock and its owner entering the terminal. Lori, who is a former flight attendant, said he also has spoken to current flight attendants and airline staff who say the woman had tried on several previous occasions to fly with a peacock, including an attempt from JFK, and had been turned away. At Newark, the woman's ticket was refunded, and the airline even gave her cab fare back to the hotel, Lori said. Quote, I really think that the whole emotional support animal thing is just getting out of hand, Laurie said in an interview on Tuesday afternoon. Granted, there are the folks out there who truly do need it, but a lot of people are now, I guess, just testing the waters to see what it is you can do and what you can get away with. As a flight attendant myself, I've had someone try to board with a pig and a turkey. Quote. In his experience, The pigs were fairly well-behaved. The turkey, not so much. Quote, I've actually not had a situation where we had something go terribly awry with an emotional support animal, aside from a cat. I had a cat get loose and start running through the cabin, Laurie said. At least it was just a cat. End quote. Laurie suspects that things have gotten wild ever since the airline started charging fees for everything from carry-on luggage to pet carriers. Documentation being what it is, some Wiley passengers figured out they could save money by rebranding the family pet as an emotional support animal that would travel for free on their laps. Still, change could be in the air. United said its current policy on emotional support animals is under review. And the next article was posted by Kelly Gask on the Leadership List on February one. It is from the Chicago Tribune and is entitled, United Titans Rules for Emotional Support Animals. United Airlines announced Thursday that it is joining Delta Airlines in tightening rules for passengers flying with emotional support animals, requiring proof of an animal's health and a promise of good behavior before allowing it in the cabin. Federal law requires airlines to permit passengers with disabilities to fly with service and emotional support animals in the cabin, though airlines can require a statement from a licensed mental health professional documenting the passenger's need for an emotional support animal. Both service and support animals fly in the cabin for free, unlike household pets, for which United charges a $125 fee. But emotional support animals don't always have the specialized training service animals receive, and airlines said that as support animals' numbers have grown, so have problems with misbehavior and disturbances. United carried 76,000 emotional support animals in 2017, up nearly 77% from the year before, and noted a significant increase in incidents involving the animals on board its aircraft, spokesman Charles Hobart said. The Chicago-based airline said the new rules are designed to better balance protecting our employees and customers while accommodating passengers with disabilities. Starting March 1, United customers who want to fly with an emotional support animal will need to confirm that the animal has been trained to behave properly in public and acknowledge their responsibility for the animal's conduct in addition to the usual 48-hours notice and letter from a mental health professional. Passengers also will need to provide a health and vaccination form signed by a veterinarian. Along with the veterinarian's assurance, there is no reason to think the animal will threaten the health or safety of others on board or cause a significant disruption. The airline is not changing any rules concerning trained service animals which don't require advanced documentation or notice unless the passenger is traveling to a foreign country with additional regulations. United's announcement came shortly after the airline's decision to bar an emotional support peacock named Dexter from a flight leaving Newark last week. Put the airlines in the spotlight. The timing was a coincidence, Hobart said. United already had been working on the new policy, and Dexter wouldn't have been allowed to fly as an emotional support animal under United's existing rules and reasons including his size, something United had told his owner before they arrived at the airport, he said. It further illustrates the need for change and the need to revise and enhance our existing policies so customers are certain what they can bring on board and for the overall safety and comfort of everyone on board the aircraft, Hobart said. Airlines can refuse service or support snakes, reptiles, ferrets, rodents, sugar gliders, and spiders, along with animals that are too large or heavy, pose a threat to health or safety, or would disrupt service. United said Thursday it also excludes hedgehogs, insects, non-household birds, exotic animals, and any animals that aren't properly cleaned or carry a foul odor. United's new regulations are similar to those Delta announced earlier this month, which also take effect on March 1. Delta also will require veterinary health records for trained service animals. Delta said it carries nearly 250,000 service or support animals each year, and saw an 84% increase in reported animal incidents since 2016, along with an increase in employee reports of service and support animals behaving aggressively. Support animals can be a disservice to customers who have real and documented needs, the airline said in a news release. Other carriers, including American Airlines and JetBlue Airways, also are reviewing policies around emotional support animals. American has noted an increase in the use of emotional support animals since 2016 and is considering additional requirements, quote, to help protect our team members and our customers who have a real need for a trained service or support animal. Spokeswoman Leslie Scott said, We agree with Delta's efforts and will continue to support the rights of customers from veterans to people with disabilities with legitimate needs, she said. And finally, there's an article in People Magazine posted on the Leadership List on Saturday, February 3, called People Explains. What is the difference between an emotional support animal and a service animal? The Internet's feathers are ruffled over a recent story about an emotional support peacock that was barred at a United Airlines flight out of Newark. The airline has responded with its side of what happened, but the news still left many wondering what is an emotional support animal and how did a peacock end up with that title. In addition to this, if most emotional support animals are allowed on planes, how different are they? from service and assistance animals like guide dogs to help clear up this fogginess surrounding our furry friends especially when it comes to travel we talked to the director of training at both the guide dog foundation and america's vet dogs brad hibbert the first of these nonprofit organizations provides trained guide dogs free of charge to the visually impaired while the latter provides free service dogs to veterans which are trained to meet each veteran's individual needs. With years of experience training service dogs, Hibbert is familiar with what separates them from Emotional Support Animals, ESAs, and how the rise of ESAs has affected his graduates. What is an Emotional Support Animal? Quote, For an emotional support animal, we are basically looking at an animal that is purely a companion, Hibbard told People. It's no different from a pet. It hasn't received any kind of training. It's just that the person who has the animal has a medical letter from a doctor or mental health professional that they are working with that says they need this animal for a mental or emotional condition they have, like anxiety or depression, end quote. How are emotional support animals different from a service animal? Service animals, or assistance animals, are specified by the Americans with Disabilities Act as animals that have been trained to perform a task for their owner and are also dogs. Hibbard explains that there is an exception for some miniature horses that are starting to be trained as guides for the blind, but aside from that, all assistant animals must be dogs. Assistance animals come in many varieties, guide dogs, PTSD support dog, seizure detection dog, hearing dog. So the tasks they are trained to learn can vary. For example, it could be a cue from a handler to go retrieve medication, or it could be a response from the surrounding environment, like a hearing dog waking their owner when their alarm clock or smoke detector goes off. Quote, So an emotional support animal has no training. There might be something the person has done. There could be obedience training and work with someone to ensure the animal has good behavior or can travel on a plane, but they have not been trained to do a task. Just their presence might be something that can help someone with that mental or emotional condition, Hibbert explains. How does one get an emotional support animal? To have a pet or any animal deemed an emotional support animal, the owner needs to obtain a letter from a doctor or mental health professional stating the animal's presence is required to help with a mental or emotional condition. Unfortunately, as Hibbert explains, there is a big cottage industry out there where you can go online where some don't even have conditions and they just say, here, pay us however much money and we will send you something that says a doctor has signed off on it. This can translate to individuals paying for an emotional support animal letter for their pet without a doctor ever meeting the owner or the animal. How does a person obtain a service animal? The animal, in this case most likely a dog, has to be trained to perform tasks personalized to the owner in need. These animals are often trained through schools that are certified by Assistance Dogs International and the International Guide Dog Federation. They are trained by professionals to handle a variety of environments, including malls, restaurants, crowded areas, plains, and more, and to be able to serve their owners in all of these circumstances. Quote, We work with our dogs and clients so they know how to work, Through those environments, Hibbard said, of part of the training program, Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs put their canines and clients through. But with emotional support animals, it's up to the owner to use their own judgment if their animal is going to be okay in those environments. Are emotional support animals protected by law the same way assistance animals are? That's a yes and no question, according to Hibbard. Both emotional support animals and assistant animals are protected under the Air Carrier Access Act and the Fair Housing Act. The Air Carrier Access Act allows both assistant animals and emotional support animals to travel on planes with their owners. For emotional support animals, this requires the note from the doctor that states the animal's presence is necessary due to an emotional or mental condition. Under the Fair Housing Act, property owners cannot discriminate against those that have AIDS. This covers both assistance animals and emotional support animals. Where ESAs are not covered is under the Americans with Disabilities Act. The ADA is the legislation that states that the animal needs to be a dog or in some cases a miniature horse that is trained to perform a task for their owner for the animal to be allowed public access. Only assistance animals meet these guidelines. Can an emotional support animal be denied entry into a business? Yes, because ESAs are not protected by the ADA, they can be denied public access, which includes everything from restaurants to offices. Can an assistance animal be denied entry into a business? No. Under the ADA, it is against the law to deny an owner and their assistance animal entry to your business. Quote, Under the ADA, business owners are only allowed to ask two questions. Is this a service dog that assists you? And what task is it trained to help you with? Hibbard said, There is no necessity to tell them what your condition is. There are the two questions that are legit for a business to ask. If a person answers those, that's it. And conversation is over and they are protected under the ADA. What is the difference between an emotional support animal and PTSD support dog? In his work with America's Vet Dogs, Hibbert says he has run into some that are confused by the difference between an emotional support animal and a service dog that is trained to assist someone with PTSD. As stated before, it comes down to the task. Unlike emotional support animals, PTSD dogs are trained to learn certain tasks to support their person's needs. PTSD support service dogs often learn to recognize when their owner is having a nightmare or how to wake them up in addition to fetching medication, getting help from another person in the home, or calming their owner when they feel a panic attack or traumatic flashback is coming on. How has a rise in emotional support animals affected assistance animals? Quote, For our service dog users, if those ESA animals aren't well-behaved, it can cause them a lot of problems, Hibbard said. One of the recent issues has been with airline travel policies. Delta Airlines recently announced it is changing its pet policy in light of a rising number of complaints about ill-behaved animals. Under the new rules, those with assistance animals will have to provide documentation for their service animal at least 48 hours before their flight, a big change for a group of people who are used to boarding planes with their service animals without any issue. Quote, there are issues there for our graduates and graduates from other assistance dog programs. You are making things onerous for them. They have to upload documentations for Delta for their trip 48 hours prior and provide all this paperwork that they have to keep with them, Hibbard explains. If they are in a situation where a flight gets canceled, now they have to work with the airline to figure that out. This is a huge confusing inconvenience for Hibbard's graduates, many of whom have had multiple service dogs in their lifetime and are experienced travelers. He and other representatives from the Service Dog Associations are working with Delta and other airlines to find something more balanced that allows the airlines to keep unruly, untrained animals in check while allowing service animal graduates the ease of travel they are used to. Page 5 The Sound Prince Calendar. On February six, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next conference call meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. This meeting is open to individuals statewide who are experiencing low vision and they're encouraged to come and ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. On February eight. There will be a cooking class with Tess Flint at the Bluegrass Council office from 1 to 2 p.m. at 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. February 8 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. Also on February 8th, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its monthly conference call meeting at 7 p.m. Call 605-475-4700 and enter code 155619. On February 9, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will include iPhone tips, genealogy, and other individual activities from 3.30 to 5 p.m., Discussion time and tip sheet from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, $5 per person, bingo $2 per person, games and crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On February 10, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its board meeting at 11 a.m. by telephone on the conference line at 605-475-6006. The code is 294444. On February 11, KCB Next Generation will have its monthly meeting at 8 p.m., on the conference line 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. KCB Next Generation is for individuals who are 40 and under. February 13, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVI, will have its monthly meeting in Owensboro from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. The presentation will be by Elizabeth Downing and Tina Wright about Time Savers which provides quality care for older adults and those recuperating from injury, surgery, or illness. They'll also take ceramics orders, collect membership dues, and have a brief PR committee meeting at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. On February 14th, The KCB PR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. February 15, Savvy will hold a workshop on the Digital Book Reader and NFB Newsline from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Join them as they examine strategies to efficiently read NLS books and for using NFB Newsline at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418. On February 16, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will include iPhone tips and genealogy from 3.30 until 4.30, tip time from 4.30 until 5.30, dinner at 5.30, $5 $5 per person followed by a Tupperware party and fundraiser for GLCB with Tina Kirk will be the consultant. This will begin around 6 o'clock to 6 30 and will end by eight thirty. It will be followed by games and crafts until 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries call 502-895-4598 for more information. February 18 is the KSB Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call. And on February 19 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board Meeting at 7.30 p.m. by conference call, both on the line at 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. On February 22, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have another support group meeting from one thirty to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. The phone number for more information is 502-895-4598. On February 23, will be another roundabout. Education and technology, 3.30 to 5. Discussion, 5 to 6. No. On February 23 is another roundabout with the Greater Lovell Council of the Blind. Education and Technology, 330 to 5. Tip Sheet, 5 to 5.30. Page Turners, 5.30 to 6. Dinner, $5 per person at 6 p.m. Games and Crafts from 7 until 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598. February 24 to 27, is the ACB Mid-Year Meeting and Legislative Seminar in Alexandria, Virginia. It will also be broadcast on ACB Radio. Listen on February 25 to the ACB President's Meeting from 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. and on February 26 to the Legislative Seminar and Training also from 9 until 5 on ACB Radio. You can contact ACB Radio by dialing 605-475-8130 and following the prompts to the channel that you wish to listen to. On February 24, landscapes for your fingertips, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. Use textures and shapes and layers to add depth and movement when creating tactile artwork of New and Remembered Landscapes, taught by guest artist Jennifer Palmer, American Printing House for the Blind, call 502-899-2213 to register. On February twenty-six, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have their next membership call, 7 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On February 28th, the Bluegrass Council Peer Support Group meeting will be held from noon until 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council Office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for more information. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598